welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. It's good to see everybody here. If you have your Bible, start with me to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16. It'll be our first verse that we read this morning. Um, while you're turning there, uh, the pastor was correct about uh, when my flight was supposed to be in. It was supposed to be in around 11 o'clock, but it was actually 11.54 is when it was supposed to come in. But uh, our plane was late in Dallas, and so we didn't get here till 12.36. And by the time I got a rental car, all that stuff, I got to the hotel at 1 o'clock this morning and finally got to sleep at 2 o'clock this morning because the guy next to me in my room kept, he is having a conversation with somebody <laughs> at that time of the morning. So it's good to be here. I'm finally glad to be here. So uh, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do. Uh, I, I came in late last night because uh, I was with my family, my wife and my son, and uh, my brother and his wife and niece and all that, because uh, Baylor, my son goes to Baylor University now, he's a Baylor bear, he wants to be a biblical archaeologist, and so that's why he's going there, and, uh, and so they were playing Texas Tech in football last night, and so my niece goes to Tech, my son goes to Baylor, we all met at Baylor and had a big family reunion, basically. So that's I couldn't miss out on that. So anyway, it's good to be here. Looking forward to being And y'all pray for me this week because uh, this is my sixth week in a row on the road, nonstop, just boom, boom, boom. Last week I spoke 15 times in that week. I uh, did about eight school assemblies. The week before that I spoke 12 or 13 times. The week before that it was just, it's been nonstop. So uh, I appreciate you all praying that my voice will hold, hold up the rest of the week as well. Um, I want to I pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you uh, just for a church that loves people and wants to see people saved, because people do need the Lord. And we ask God you give us a burden for people, for people that don't know you, and the God that you will give us a harvest this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For those of you that don't know my story, I know a lot of you do, but those of you that don't, I'll just catch you up with speed a little bit. So I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I'm a result of a rape. My mom was raped when she was 17, couldn't have an abortion, but she didn't. She had me. And uh, what happened was she was dating a guy. She'd been dating for two years, uh, and he was stationed in Louisiana in the, uh, during the Vietnam War. And her family went to see some friends in Central Texas. And when they were there, their son raped my mom while they were there. And so um, I, she got pregnant with me. They came back home. A month later, she found out she was pregnant. Her boyfriend, she'd been dating for two years, uh, came back uh, home. They got married. We got transferred to Kansas, the Big Red One Army base up in there, up in Kansas. And so the guy that my mom married was an alcoholic. He was abusive. He beat my mom, ran around on my mom, all that stuff. So they had my next brother, Alan. So when I was three, Alan was one. My mom divorced him. We moved back in with my grandparents. And uh, my mom finally got the courage to start dating again. She went to this country and western two-stepping bar, met this guy named Jamie. Jamie ended up uh, asking my mom out. They fell in love. They got married. When they got married, Jamie adopted me and my brother, Alan, as his own sons. So my name changed from Ronnie McGahey to Ronnie Hill because that was his last name. And so he adopted me. I finally had a dad, had somebody to take care of us, not beat up my mom, not ran around to my mom. 
And so, but there was a lot of partying and drinking and all that kind of stuff still. He was a good old boy, but that's what they did. And so my mom would take us to church every once in a while, about two times a year. One day I gave my life to Christ uh, on one of those days, and I was changed. And the very first person, now my mom got saved about the same time I did, but the very first person I wanted to tell was my dad, Jamie, because I did not want my dad to go to hell. And I've been telling people about Jesus ever since. You say, why, why have you been telling people about Jesus ever since then? Because two years later, after God saved me, two years later, God performed a miracle, brought my dad to church with us four Sundays in a row. The fourth Sunday, my dad gave his life to Christ and was saved. The drinking, the smoking, the cussing, the fighting stopped in our house. There was peace in our home. Two years later, God called my dad to preach. We sold everything we had, moved to Fort Worth. He went to seminary, got his first church in Oklahoma. While he was preaching in Oklahoma, I surrendered to preach the gospel underneath my dad's ministry when I was 14. Then when I was 19, I got my first church as a youth minister. And then ever since then, about a year after that, I started traveling, preaching. Been doing it ever since all over the United States from 101 to hundreds of people. Last week, I was in uh, Fayette, Alabama. We had 396 people give their life to Christ that week at a football field with all these churches participating. You say, how'd y'all have that many people? Because the church people brought lost people to the crusade. And we had lost people there. They heard the gospel and they were changed. You say, well, that's real well and good for a big area-wide crusade. But that, you know, that for us here, that won't work here. Hey, um, we started a small group Bible study in my home seven months ago. One guy said, hey, would you start a Bible study? I said, man, I'm on the road all the time. I don't have time to do that. I can't. He said, I said, I'll pray about it. I came back the next week. I said, okay, I'll do it under one condition. That we do the small group Bible study. We meet from you know, one week to the next, I don't know when I'm going to be home. If y'all are flexible on the days, we can do it. They said, we can do that. We started out with me, five other people. First day we had Bible study, we're just reading a chapter of the Bible, going through the Bible, reading a chapter a day, uh, a week. When we did that, first week we had two people saved. Next week we had 10 people there. Next week we had 12. Next week we had 15. Next week we had 30. We've had in seven months, we have had 45 people give their life to Christ and we have had 39 baptized out of our small group in our home. We have had, I've got five more lined up to baptize next week uh, out of our group. And I'm talking about thousands of people saved. Over and over, there are people everywhere. I've talked to one-on-one. I've talked to hundreds of people. I went to NASCAR race in Bristol, Tennessee. Uh, you say, why is that? Because there's a bunch of lost people there. And I put a motorcycle, a Harley-Davidson, out front of this tent. We put this tent out. We're on the end of Vendor Row. I told them, hey, you want to come underneath the uh, tent? Uh, if you'll listen, listen to me talk for 10 minutes, you get decided to free to win this motorcycle. We had hundreds of people. I mean, I'm talking about NASCAR fans. Just go, get her done. And they'd come underneath our tent. And they had their beer. And they'd have those, uh, they'd have those helmets with the two beers in the both sides and the straws and stuff. They'd drag their ice chest full of beer, and they're going to get her done. No T-shirt on. Have their favorite driver's number painted on their hairy chest. And they go, get her done. they come up underneath there, and I start telling them about Jesus. That beer went from here to whoop, down here. I start telling them how Jesus died on the cross for them and wants to change their life. And I'm talking about over and over, one after another in that tent. Every one hour, I would preach at the top of the hour. We had in three days, we had over 700 NASCAR fans give their lives to Christ. I'm talking about leaving their beer in our tent and stuff. And my, and my volunteers that were helping me, going, well, what are we going to do with all this beer? 
I'm like, throw it in the trash can. It's right there. It is. Let's go. They need to be. They need to be saved. And I'm talking about one after another. We went from there. We went to Sturgis Bike Week. Gave away a motorcycle there. In three years at Sturgis Bike Week, we had 2,900 something bikers saved in three weeks doing that. Eating each year, three years, 2,900 bikers saved. I'm talking about bikers that were tatted up, tears leaving underneath our tent because tears in the eyes and, and being changed one after another. I'm from there, I, I, I have been to Brazil, Africa, Honduras, Nicaragua, all over the world telling people about Jesus from one-on-one to thousands of people at one time. And in all these places, all the way even to my arena, my roping arena at my house, where we have led people one-on-one to the Lord in our arena. And in all these conversations, all these people, and all these years of doing it, I keep hearing the same questions about Jesus over and over. They all have the same questions. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to hit on those questions that I have heard the most out of all those conversations. And we're going to go snorkeling this morning. We're not scuba diving because we got a lot of, we got several questions to cover. And so we could spend on each one of these questions, we could spend a month preaching on it. But we're just going to hit the topic just a little bit, okay? So we're going to do this this morning, though. We're going to look at what the Bible says about this. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. doesn't matter what your opinion is or somebody else's opinion or some denomination. We're going to look at what the Bible says. So I don't care if you have a Catholic Bible or a Protestant Bible. What I'm preaching is in your Bible. And we're going to see you say, well, Ronnie, that's where I'd like to start. How do we know the Bible's true? How do we know that it's authentic, that it's real? How do we know that? Okay, that's a good question. Here's the deal. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says this. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Just so you know, if you think, well, that's just a bunch of made-up stories in the Bible. It's fables. It's not true. Whatever. Hey, let me just tell you this. The Bible is historically accurate. I told you my son wants to be a biblical archaeologist. That's what he wants to do. And that joker is smart. He knows his stuff. And matter of fact, he wants to do, uh, for Baylor, they're doing a study abroad in Israel this summer. So y'all pray about that because uh, y'all know what's going on over there, the war, and we need to pray for them. So he wants to do that. Let me tell you something. If you can say all you want to about the Bible being made up, it's been backed up by archaeologists over and over again. I'm talking about hundreds of cities from Capernaum to Dan that have been found, that have been mentioned in the Bible, they have found and proved that they did exist. Even to people that they said didn't exist. There are critics that say, oh, for example, they'll say a pilot who had Jesus crucified, he, doesn't, he didn't exist. Well, guess what? In 1961, they found a stone with his inscription, with his name on it, that he was the Roman curator during the time. In 1969, they found a ring with his name on it. So don't, don't tell me, oh, well, the Bible's not accurate. It has been backed up over and over and over again. It is true. It is real. It's not a bunch of made-up stories. And I'm going to tell you another way I know the Bible's true. It's because it gave me the experience it promised it would give me. You say, what do you mean? Uh, the Bible says in Psalms 103, I'd receive forgiveness. The Bible says he separated my sin as far as the east is from the west in Psalms 103, verse 12. 
Uh, Jesus said, I'd have peace. He said that in the Bible. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, I'm leaving you with gift of peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world can't give you. Hey, listen, there are a lot of you sitting out here. You don't have peace. You can have it. I know. I have it. And you can have it as well. The Bible backs it up. It gives peace. He says, God will give you peace. I'm going to tell you the other thing he says. He says, I will have my prayers answered. You say, well, there, see, there's uh, Ronnie. I got a bone to pick with you on that. Because I've had prayers that haven't been answered. Well, guess what? You know why? Because you don't know his phone number. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, we have access to God through the blood of Jesus. That's the only way we have access. So if you have never repented of your sins and given your life to Christ, you don't have access to him. So that's why your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Because you don't have access. The only way you have access to God is if you have repented of your sins and believed in Jesus. That is the only way you have access to him. And that might be one of the reasons why you have never had a prayer answered. I'm going to tell you what else it says. It says, I'll have everything I need in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. God has supplied all my needs, and he's provided for me, and he'll do the same thing for you. The other way that we know the Bible's true, Christians know and trust God's word because they hear and know his voice. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. You say, well, Ryan, that's all well and good, you know. But that's not really a hard question. I got a really tough question for you. You know, I don't know if you've heard this before when you've been traveling around talking to people and stuff. But, Ronnie, my real question is, if God is so good, why does he allow evil and suffering? Do you know in all my witnessing, whether it's one-on-one or witnessing the big hundreds of thousands of groups, thousands of people in a group or whatever, that is the number one question I get no matter where I go. I don't care if I'm overseas or if I'm in the United States, if I'm in the north or I'm in the south. That's the number one question. If God is so good, why does he allow evil and suffering? Okay? First of all, you need to know this. All this mess in the world that's going on right now, that wasn't God's original plan to begin with. Did y'all know that? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. So when God created the heavens and the earth, y'all remember in Genesis when God said he created everything, and he said it was what? Good. He said it's good. So then what happened? He said, Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but if you eat from a tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. He didn't say you might die. He said you will die. He didn't say you're going to get sick. He said you will die if you eat from that tree. So what do they do? They go out hang out by the wrong tree. Satan comes, tempts them, says, hey, look at this tree. God just doesn't want you to be like him. She goes, it does look good. She took some from the fruit from the tree, ate it, gave some to Adam. He ate it. They realized they don't have any clothes on. They went and hid the garden. The Bible says from that one action, sin, death, destruction entered into the world. So what do we see from that? God didn't create evil. We did. That's on us. That's on man. You say, okay, but Ronnie, what about that first part of the question? Why does God allow evil? Okay. Let's look at that. If you want God, because many of you, you say, no, I want God to stop evil. I want him to stop evil. Okay, if you want God to stop evil, he has to stop all evil. Not, not just the murderer, 
Not just the thief. God's got to stop the gossip and those with hatred in his heart. Everybody. Okay? And here's, if he did that, do you, you know what he's doing? He's taking away your free will. So then you can't choose between right from wrong. You can't choose whether you want to serve him or not. You know what that's called? That's called a robot. But because God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to be a robot. He wants you to freely choose. That's what love is. Free choice. And so he gave you that free choice. But I'm going to tell you something. You better be careful what you're asking. You want God to stop all evil? Then let me ask you a question. What do you want him to do with you? Because the Bible says we've all sinned. Everybody. We have all sinned. Nobody's better than anybody else. So if you want him to stop evil and suffering, what do you want him to do with you? So what did God do about evil? What does, he, what does he tell us about evil? Galatians chapter 1, 4. The Bible says this. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. God wants to rescue you. He wants to rescue me from this evil world. Do, do we deserve it? No. But he loves us. That's what he did for us. He doesn't want you to be in this suffering and pain. You say, okay, but Ronnie... I want to know about that second question, second part of that question. If God's so loving, why does he allow suffering? Let's get to what you really want to know. Let's get to what's the real issue. Here's the real issue. You, what you really want to know is, if God is so good, Ronnie, then why did God let this bad stuff happen to me? That's what you really want to know. So here's the deal. I want to say this. I don't know what you're going through, but for those of you that are suffering right now, I am so sorry that you're going through this. I, I can't even imagine what some of the suffering that is happening in this building right now. My wife and I, we have gone through suffering. We have gone through heartache, pain, and there are things, though, that I've talked to people, and I'm like, I have no idea how you made it through, through that. That's except God. And so I'm sorry for those of you that are going through that. And I'm not going to pretend like I have all the answers, because I don't. i tell you what I will do, though. We're going to look at what the Bible says about some of that. Because there are some things in this world that just don't make sense. I mean, you think about this. Someone that we love dies. Someone we love gets cancer. A, a child is born with a deformity or a disability, uh, it, it doesn't make sense, those kind of things. Now, if somebody robs a bank, they get shot or they get thrown in jail, that makes sense. But a Christian family on the way to a church on a Sunday morning gets hit by a drunk driver and the whole family gets killed, that don't make sense. The Bible says this, 1 Peter 4.12, don't be surprised at the trials you're going through as if it was something strange were happening to you. The Bible says we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through tribulation. We're going to go through suffering. And it doesn't make sense. Uh, my son, Jake, uh, when he was uh, probably 10 or 12, right around there, uh, he wanted to be a bull rider. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to let him ride bulls. And, but before you call CPS... And, and try to get me thrown in jail for letting our son, when he's 10 or 12 years old, ride a bull. 
We're not talking about the PBR bulls or the NFR bulls or 2,500-pound bulls, big bulls. We're talking about little steers. Okay, look, the worst that he could get hurt, well, he could get a bruise, something like, you know, a bruise his arm, something like that. So don't be calling CPS on me, all right? And, and the boy's in college now anyway, he, so he survived. So, but what I wanted him to do was I didn't want him to ride bulls, and neither did my wife because, you know, we didn't want him to get hurt, you know? So, but I, did, I wanted him to not do it. I wanted it to be his idea. Not mine, all right? So I said, okay, big boy, you want to ride bulls? Let's go. So was, my, my wife's like, honey, don't be letting him do that. I'm like, it, it's okay, honey. I got this. I got this. So we take him to a bull riding coach, all right? And so, and remember, it's steers, little steer, 450-pound steers, not the big 2,500-pound. So first thing the bull riding coach does is he looks at my wife, and he says to my wife, ma'am, your son wants to be a bull rider? He said, you need to know something. It's not a question of if your son's going to get hurt. It is when and how bad. Just so you know. My wife's freaking out. No, no. I, don't, I said, honey, I got it. I got it. Take him to his first rodeo next weekend. All right? He's going to ride a bull. Gets on the steer. Gets in there. He's ready. Steer opens up, comes out, takes one hop. A second and a half into the ride. You know they got to ride eight seconds. Second half of the ride. A little bump like that. He's whoop. Hits the ground. He lands on his tailbone. He's laying in the arena crying. Ah, my tailbone, my tailbone. Paramedics come out. They're having to pick him up, drag him out of the arena. His little legs, his little cowboy chaps hanging down. Takes him out of the arena. He was fine. I said, you, you good? Yeah, just my tailbone. I said, you got four more vents. We got to go. You got to ride. You got a rope. Come on, let's go. And... Next day, he didn't want to ride. He's crying, screaming. I'm like, if you get off this bull, we're done. He goes, okay, we're done, we're done. That was it. That's all I had to do. So there was no more bull riding. But just like that coach told my wife, it wasn't a question of if he was going to get hurt. It was when and how bad. That's the same way it is with suffering. It's not a question of if you're going to suffer. It's when and how much. Because it will come, and it's going to come to everybody. And the Bible says, don't be surprised at this. In, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 5, because here's the deal. The Bible talks about there's se- several reasons for suffering or, or th- that God allows and stuff. And I'm, we're not going to hit all of them. We're just going to hit a couple of things, all right? But here's some of them. One of them is common suffering. It's universal. Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, he calls his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Hey, Listen. When a tornado comes through a town and just hits a town, it doesn't care whether you're a Christian or an atheist. It hits everybody. That's, that's common suffering. That's universal. That's everybody. But there's also carnal suffering. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, the Bible says, Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. You say, well, what's that mean? What's that about? Okay, that'd be like if you had sex outside of marriage or before marriage and you get a sexually transmitted disease, that's on you. That's not God's fault. That's not his. He didn't do that. That's, that's your choice. And you're suffering because of your sin and your bad choices. So there's carnal suffering. But there's also innocent suffering. Lamentations chapter 5 verse 7 says this. Our ancestors sinned. And but they've died, and we're suffering the punishment they deserved. So what that was talking about is Israel 
had disobeyed God, rebelled against God, and so they were getting punished because of their parents' sin. And now their parents are dead and gone, but they're still getting punished because of their parents, what they, what they did. That's innocent suffering. And many of us in here have gone through innocent suffering. Many of us have been abandoned or rejected or abused by our parents. Maybe we've been hurt by people that we care about. And that's innocent suffering. You didn't do that. That wasn't your choice. You, didn't, you, you had no part in that. I was preaching in Coppers Cove, Texas, and uh, it was on youth night. We had pizza and all that kind of stuff. We had a room full of teenagers. I don't know, probably about 300 of them there. And so there was a guy that was a Satan worshiper there. He was dressed in black from head to toe, had the black fingernails, pentagram, the whole nine yards, and uh, black lipstick and eyeshadow and all that. And he's trying to debate the teenagers and make a big scene and all that kind of stuff. Well, he had a girlfriend, and she was dressed the same way, and the girlfriend's sister. And so she was dressed the same way. The girlfriend and the sister were sitting at a table eating pizza by themselves. And he's stirring up with all the teenagers trying to make a big, you know, debate and all that kind of stuff. While they're doing all that, they're sitting there by themselves. I felt sorry for them. So I went and sat down by them because nobody was talking to them. Nobody was doing anything. So I sat by them. I said, hey, how y'all doing? I didn't come slam them. I didn't go, you're going to hell. You know, who are you? You're saying, what are you doing in the church? I didn't do any of that. Just sit down and have pizza with them. I said, where y'all from? What school you go to? What do you, what do you like to do? What, what's your hobbies? What, you play any sports at school? You do anything like that? What, just have a conversation. After about 15, 20 minutes of conversation, I said, hey, because we're just, just enjoying a conversation. I said, hey, can, can I ask you a question? And she goes, sure. I said, well, hey, I'm not trying to get in your business. I said, if you don't want to tell me, you, you don't have to tell me. I said, you know, I'm not trying to pry or anything like that. Just have a conversation. I said, um, she goes, no, no, go ahead. She said, I, I said to her, I said, uh, did something bad happen to you when you were younger? And she goes, yeah, it did. I said, well, if, if you don't want to tell me, you don't have to. She goes, no, I'll tell you. She said, um, when I was 10 years old, we were going to the Catholic church. And uh, the Catholic priest sexually abused me when I was 10. And then two years later, when my younger sister, when she was 10, he did the same thing to her. And so I just figured, uh, if there's a God, forget you. But she didn't say that. I said, I am so sorry that you went through that. I said, that is wrong. That's not right. It's not fair. I said, that priest needs to be in jail. He needs to be thrown in jail and locked up. And I said, I am so sorry. I said, but can I ask you a question? She goes, yeah. I said, do you think that that Catholic priest just woke up one day and just started sexually abusing little girls? She goes, I don't know. I said, do you want me to tell you where it started? She goes, where? I said, it started with pornography. He started looking at pornography, and then he progressed, and then he went to hardcore pornography, and then probably started acting out with prostitutes, and then from prostitutes, then he started acting out with little girls. I said, who do you think pumped that pornography? I said, you think God's trying to get pornography out everywhere? She goes, no. I said, who do you think is pumping it out? It's trying to get it out there. I said, Satan. I said, so the very person that you're worshiping is the one who started it all to begin with. It's like a light came on for her. And she's like, hmm, I never thought of it like that. 
I said, my mom was raped when she was 17. I said, God did not rape my mom. That was my biological father's sin that did that to my mom. I said, so don't blame stuff on God that he didn't do. And a lot of you have been angry and mad at God about stuff that he didn't do. It was somebody else's sin in your life, in your family, in the church. How many times do we know about church people that have hurt other people because of their sin? And then what they do is they blame God. God didn't do that. That was that person's sin that did that. So don't blame God for stuff he didn't do. And the last thing we need to see about suffering, it can also bring glory to God. Now, we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. But before we do, the guy who wrote this is Paul. Paul has been shipwrecked, been stoned to death. They, they left him for dead when they threw all these rocks on him and, and thought he was dead. They left him. He'd been uh, thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. He'd been starved to death almost. He'd been bitten by venomous snakes. I mean, just over and over, all this bad stuff, horrible suffering that he'd gone through. And after all this stuff, here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 4.15. All of this, talking about all the stuff I just mentioned, is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. This is the highest form of suffering. It's redemptive suffering. And what happens is when you go through these problems, it's for the benefit of others. That's what Jesus did. Think about this. Jesus died on the cross. He didn't deserve to die on the cross. He didn't do anything. He was innocent. And he went through that for your benefit. And for my benefit, so our sins could be forgiven and we could have a relationship with him. That's redemptive suffering. And, but here's the deal. He went through that pain for us. And when you go through pain for the benefit of other people, don't waste your pain. Don't waste your suffering. But here's the promise. When we do go through this suffering, when we do go through this pain, he'll be with us every step of the way. He's not abandoning you. Romans 8, 38 says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. He is always with us. He's always with you. You say, okay, Ronnie, that's all well and good, but I got a question for you. Why do I need Jesus? I'm a good person. I go to church. I'm religious. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Catholic. I'm a this. I'm a that. Well, let's see what Jesus had to say about that. Jesus said in John 3, 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus, hey, Nicodemus, you got to be a member of this certain, certain church or this certain denomination. He said, you have to be born again. You say, what does born again mean? Born again means that you acknowledge that Jesus, that God loves you and cares about you. He sent his son Jesus out of heaven, down this earth to die on a cross to pay for your sins and my sins. And as a result of him dying on the cross and paying for our sins, he, not only did he die on that cross, he was buried and he rose again. And by born again means you acknowledge that he did that for you and your sins. So you repent of your sins, you turn from your sins, and you commit your life to him to serve him for the rest of your life. That's what it means to be born again. 
Because then he comes into your life, you are regenerated spiritually. You were dead, but now you're alive. That's what that means to be born again. And I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a minute to be born again, to give your life to Christ. But I'm going to tell you this. I've, this is one of the toughest jobs for me, is this crowd right here. You may tell you why this crowd is tough. Because it is easier for when I'm preaching in a Honduras prison for those guys to go to heaven than it is for people right in here in this service this morning. Do you understand that? When I preached in a Honduras prison to an MS-13 gang, uh, there was 60-something of them seg- segregated off. The, uh, the, pr- the prison guards wouldn't even go in there. The guards had ARs and wouldn't go in there because those guys were so dangerous. I went in there and preached to those guys, 60-something of them. 40-something of them gave their life to Jesus. You know why it's easier for them to go to heaven than you? Because they know they're lost. They know they have no hope, no purpose, no meaning. But people in here think because they're good or because they're religious, they're going to heaven. No way. And that's why it's difficult for you to go to heaven. I was, uh, a pastor took me to a bar last month. Some of y'all are still asleep. Some of y'all are not. The ones that laughed, you're not asleep. Thank you for staying awake on me. The ones that didn't laugh, somebody punch them, just kind of nudge them, say, hey, you need to wake up right here. So, let me explain this. It's not a joke. It's not like, well, two preachers going to a bar. and this This really happened. So, but let me give you the background. It's not a real bar. But basically, here's what happened. I was in Hocking Hills, Ohio, about a month ago. And this pastor, a friend of mine, and his wife, we were going to eat at this barbecue place. And we were there at 5 o'clock to try to beat the crowd. At 5 o'clock, there was a 30-minute wait. All right? So we're like, man, we will never get our food. And we got to go. And so he said, hey, I think we can go sit at the bar and we can get our food. We can order it right now. I said, let's go. So the pastor's wife leads the way. So she goes and she sits down. Then the pastor. Then me. And I'm sitting next to this guy named Jerry. Okay? Jerry, he's a big old boy. Okay? Got a beard. Big old burly guy. And he is kind of leaning over in my side. So I'm at my, my chair. And you know that little gold bar at the bottom of the bar that you put your feet on? You know, he's got his foot right in front of my space right there. So that's how, that's how tight we are. He's leaning up against, right, we're, we're like that. So we order our food. Behind the bar, they got a big, huge TV, big screen TV. And they're playing on the TV. They're doing a CrossFit competition, all right? So those of you that don't know what that is, basically it's, you know, your weightlifting competition, trying to hurry up, all that kind of stuff. The, the pastor's son-in-law does that, okay? So because the pastor's son-in-law does that, and the pastor, uh, he uh, rides bikes like 100 miles a day. He's, he's incredible. Anyway, so it's kind of like your pastor and your pastor's wife running these marathons and all that stuff. So he's, uh, he's sitting there telling me some stuff about his son-in-law on this deal. So the competition that they're having that's on the TV at the time is power, clean, and jerk. So that's basically where you pick up the weight, you pick it up, you throw it up here, and then you throw it up over your head. All right. So it's the guys, they're on 330 pounds, 
is what they're doing. They're picking it up right here and throwing it over their head. So Pastor and I were doing this commentating on this deal as we're eating our barbecue. And I said, I said, this guy right here is about to go. He's not going to do it. He said, why you say that? I said, because he's got skinny legs. He's got little bit legs. He, he's not going to be able to throw it 330 pounds. And when I said that, Jerry, leaning over my side, looks at me. And he goes, you got to believe. <laughs> like, he's coming in on our conversation. He's not even on our, we're, we're, this isn't even his conversation. This is me and the pastor. But Jerry has already had, I know, I have seen him drink four beers while I've been there, Okay. I don't know how many he had before that, but I have seen him throw down four, all right? So, he says, you got to believe. And I said to him, well, Jerry, because we're on first name basis now. I said, uh, Jerry, I don't believe in him, but I believe in Jesus. And his eyes got real big. And he looked over at he's He's like right here on me, okay? He looks at me, he goes, hey, you believe in Jesus, he said, do you believe in Bigfoot? No joke. And by the way, I almost stole your Bigfoot sign in your office and brought it out here for this conversation. Because you and I, gotta have a, we got to have a conversation about that. We haven't had a conversation about it. So he said, do you believe in Bigfoot? Now, the reason y'all laugh and think, well, what's it all about? You got to understand something, okay? At Hawking Hills that weekend, I was there. No joke. I'm not kidding. They were having a Bigfoot festival. Okay, so the pastor and, and his wife and all that, we just walked up and down it to see what was going on. There was six blocks of Hocking Hills blocked off, roped off in main the downtown Hocking Hills because they had Bigfoot tents everywhere. And people selling Sasquatch stuff and Bigfoot mugs and Bigfoot signs. And one dude had a Sasquatch hair, like Clips of, of Bigfoot's hair, like that much of his hair. I'm thinking, what did they do? Did they throw him down, shave him, and then let him go? I mean, I don't understand. What, how did they get that hair? And so, they're still, Jerry is a Bigfoot believer, all right? So, he, I don't know if he had his own tent down there or what. So, he's sitting there doing that. And so, I said to him, I said, well, Jerry, I don't believe in Bigfoot, but I believe in Jesus. I said, Jerry... Do you believe in Jesus? You know what Jerry's response to me was? He said, oh, I'm Catholic. I believe there's a God. You know what I said to him? I said, Jerry, you know what the Bible says about that? In James 2.19, the Bible says, so what? It says, you believe in one God? Good. The demons of hell believe too and they tremble. I said, Jerry, Satan knows there's a God. Satan believes in God. I said, but Jerry, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing him personally. And that's the way a lot of you are. You know about God, but you don't know him personally. Hey, my son, Jake, who wants to be a biblical archaeologist, grew up in a Christian home. He was in church every time the doors were open. Like the pastor's kids here as well. They, my, my son was in church just as much as them, if not more. Because you think about this, we go to church on Sundays, like y'all do, and Wednesdays, but we're in a revival, it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We go to youth camp, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So y'all doing just one time, we're doing five times in a week. This boy was in church. He was in church. 
But guess what? He could not inherit Jesus from me. My son, a preacher's son, had to make that decision himself. I couldn't do it for him. And that's the way a lot of you, I don't care if you grew up in a Christian home. I don't care if your parents went to church and stuff. You say, well, I've always grown up, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Catholic. So what? You have to personally choose Jesus, and nobody can do it for you. Not your mama, not your daddy, not your grandparents, you, not your spouse. You have to choose Jesus. And you can do that today. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it in just a minute. You say, but Ronnie, you don't understand. I, I've, I've lived a long life. I've got a lot of stuff, and I don't know if God will forgive me. I've done a lot of bad things. I don't know if God can really forgive all of my sin. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 7, He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. You say, but Ronnie, I feel like I'm not good enough. That I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to be perfect. Hey, that's the whole point. That's why we need Jesus. Because none of us, that's why he had to die on the cross, because none of us are good enough to get to heaven. We can't go to church enough to get rid of our sin. We can't be good enough. It's only Jesus that can forgive our sin because of dying on the cross for us. And you're not going to be some super saint, just so you know that. Hey, by the way, um, for those of you who think, well, God, you don't understand, I, I've done some bad stuff, God's not going to forgive my sin. Hey, have you ever killed a Christian? Have you ever killed a Christian? Have you ever had them thrown in jail? Okay, Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, not only did he vote to have Christians killed, he threw them in jail. So if God can forgive Paul, who did all that stuff, and used him more than all the other apostles, you think God won't forgive you and cleanse you of your sin? Don't flatter yourself. His blood covers all sin. You say, but Ronnie, what if I don't want to do it now? What if I don't want to do it now? I don't want to change. Let me ask you a question. How's that working for you? No, you don't want change. How's it working for you? Romans 2.5 says, But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Listen, I told you, I have talked to thousands and thousands of people one-on-one, -on -one, and I have come in contact with people. They have no peace. And there's a lot of you who have no peace. You're just checking in on church on Sunday morning, doing your little deal. I'm not talking about checking in church. I'm talking about having a relationship with him. And there are many of you. I can tell. I've talked to thousands and thousands. Th I'm not making this stuff up. And, and many, I can see in your eyes, you don't have it. You don't have peace. You can have it today. But it's only through Jesus. And here's my question for you. If everything's so good, no, you say, no, I'm good. Then tell me this. Why do you have to drink a little alcohol and even just knock out the edge if everything's good? If everything's so good for you, why do you have to work like a dog 40, 50, 60 hours a week? Or why do you have all these hobbies after hobbies just to stay busy so you won't have to think about how miserable you are if everything's so good? No, Jesus is the only one that can give you peace. And let me ask you a question. Why waste all this time? Why waste all this time when you can have it today, right now? I, I have a truck that's 23 years old. And my... My wife and my son were on me for years. So you need to get a new truck. You need to get a new truck. I'm like, no, my truck's fine. It'll work. It's fine. It's paid for. It's good. And so I drove this truck for 23 years. Still have it. And it's like, I, I'm, like I'm fine. And my dad even got in. Son, you need to get a new truck. 
I said, Dad, it's fine. It's paid for. So finally, right before the pandemic happened, uh, we were going to go. I don't know if y'all remember that I rodeo. Me and my son, we rodeo and do stuff like that. So uh, we were pulling horses, horse trailer, and we're going to be, it's like a 17-hour drive pulling those horses in, in a four-horse trailer, four horses going along, 17 hours. And I was thinking, I don't know if my truck's going to make it that far. So I broke down. I got me a new truck. Wow. Unbelievable. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but my truck from 2000 had 230 horsepower. I got a new truck, 440 horsepower. 440. When I was in my old truck, just going up a little hill with four horses in the back, it'd be just, bare, I mean, like, it'd be struggling and just getting up a hill. Now, in my new truck, I can go up a mountain at 75 miles an hour into the wind four horses in the back, I can pass people and not even know my trailer is back there. That's the difference I'm talking about. And you know what? That's the way a lot of you are with Jesus. A lot of you, you're just getting by like I was with my old truck. I was just getting by with it. I had no idea at the power that they have now. They have, Now if you get a brand new one, a 2023, 24, 500 horsepower. Unbelievable. Bunch of them going to go out and go buy a new truck now. Here, here's the deal. And a bunch of you, you're just getting by in your life. And God says, I don't want you to get by. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You can have it to the full today. How? I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. If you're willing, you want to be born again? You want your life changed? You want access to God 24-7? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a minute. It's not a magical prayer, not blessing the food. What I'm talking about is you just saying, hey, uh, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. Would you please forgive me my sins? God, I turn from my sins, and I invite you into my life to be my boss and Lord and Savior. If you've never done that before and you want to do that, then right here in this, in this place, right now, you can invite Christ to come to your life, and he'll change you. He'll give you peace and purpose that you've never had before. If you want that, then I'm going to have you pray this prayer with me right now. Can you do me a favor? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes, please? And for the next two minutes, nobody get up. Nobody walk around, not ushers, not deacons, nobody, not worship team. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes, please? With heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, Ronnie, that's me. I've never done that before, and I won't do that. Then you pray this prayer with me right now, and you invite the creator of this universe into your life. Pray this prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I've messed up. And I want to ask you to forgive me my sins. And I turn from my sins. And I invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, and my best friend. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you say, Ronnie, that's me. For the first time in my life, I prayed that prayer. I understood what I was doing. I just committed my life to Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer with me, would just those of you that prayed that prayer, would you just look up at me right now and let me catch your eyes? Say, Ronnie, that's me. I just prayed that prayer. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else right here? You say, Ronnie, I did that. I prayed and I invited Jesus to come to my life. Just look up. Let me catch your eyes. In this section over here. Over here, anybody else? All right.
Okay. I want to ask right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning, you say, Ronnie, God's dealing with me about a spiritual issue or decision. If that's you, and you would like for me to pray for you about that decision, would you look up at me right now and let me catch your eyes? Say, Ronnie, that's me. Would you pray for me about that? God's speaking to me about a spiritual issue or decision. Just look up. Let me catch your eyes. All right. Could you do me a favor? Could we all please stand now with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Could we all stand? For those of you that are here this morning and you prayed that prayer, you invited Jesus to come to your life, as soon as I say amen, they're going to sing. You step out and come. Pastor's going to be right here. Pastor, would you go ahead and be right here? Pastor will be here. I'll be down here. If you pray that prayer, you step out and come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those that trust the Lord and Savior. I pray, God, that you give them courage and boldness to take a stand for you right now, God, and you would call them out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As they sing, you come on right now.